Welcome to Trailblazing Entrepreneurs, the podcast series from Salesforce App Exchange. In this series, we chat to world-class entrepreneurs and founders and explore their journey as well as share practical tips to build successful businesses. I'm your host, Sandra Peño, Director of the ISV Business at Salesforce. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Pascal Petit, who is the CEO of St. Cloud, a hospitality and event industry partner. Pascal is also a partner at Serena, a leading European VC capital fund. Hi, Pascal. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Sandras. Thank you for welcoming me to your podcast. You're very welcome. And um, I was thinking, so today we've got two French speakers on the podcast. Uh-huh, so today, yeah, right. So today we'll get a podcast in English with a very strong French accent and influence. So I've been, uh, I've been looking forward to that. So I was half thinking we should do it in French, but that probably wouldn't get the same draw. <laughs> so you and I sort of caught up a little bit earlier in preparation for today. And you talked about your first experience of raising capital in the US when there was hardly any VC money. What was the process like? Uh, the process at the time was back in the 90s. And in fact, it was, uh, you know, there was no formal process in place. So there, there were only a few players out there. And most companies were, in fact, self-funded. So, uh, you know, quite a few companies uh, around had a service arm and a software arm. And the service division would finance the software division. So in our case, that's uh, how we, uh, we operated. And we tried to go through rounds of funding, but, uh, you know, it was uh, really difficult. So we gave it up and we kept... Uh, going the uh, self-funded uh, way. What was that impossible? Is that because there was not enough cash or is that people didn't really understand what you were trying to do? It was a combination of the fact that there was less cash available because it was before the uh, Anderson Horowitz time, before Netscape. So there was not that much cash available and the cash was more uh, there for like repeat entrepreneurs than for like, uh, you know, newcomers. So at what point, what made you sort of give up? You said you gave it up and, you know, you, you went for self-funded. What was that decision process like? There was not an actual decision process because we were self-funded from day one. It was more the, I wish I said the other way around, whereby we were self-funded and we tried to dedicate time and energy to try to go the VC-funded route. But it was too early because, you know, at the time there was really very little money for seats And there was even less money for seeds in the enterprise uh, software market. And it's funny because um, when you talked, you said about, you know, today is kind of different. You mentioned the Netscape time. That's sort of going back quite a long time. But now you talked about there's almost too much VC money around. What's your sort of take on this? Yeah, I think that, that's, a, uh, that's a, a general statement on the market, whether it's like, you know, private equity or whether it's VC, private equity, or more generally like any type of like, you know, uh, assets. It's like based on the fact that there is a lot of cash and, uh, you know, cash injections and liquidity on the market. Obviously, VC uh, have quite a significant funds to invest. So the competition is more on the VC side rather than on the company side on quite a few occasions. And I think it's, it's really the other way around, whereby it used to be a time where uh, you know, startups could think about either going the self-funded route or going the VC finance route. I think nowadays, because there's that much cash available and because, because raising capital would give those companies a competitive edge in terms of execution time, uh, startups really have not that 
much alternatives but going the VC funded route. However, because there is a lot of uh, you know, cash available, they can select the VC they want to work with and they should be demanding and they should ask for more than just money because as there is money available, plenty of money available, I think they should look for more than just money from the VCs. That's a really interesting point that got sort of mentioned a few times by some of uh, your fellow entrepreneurs in some of our previous series. And one of the topic was around choose your VC very carefully. And I think you just mentioned something really interesting here, which is, you know, money is not really the differentiator. There is something else. So what would you sort of, when you prepare for your, your first pitch to a, a VC, what would be the strategy for you to sort of define and decide which VC you should go for and get money from if you were an aspiring entrepreneur? Yeah, I, th I think that, that that will really depend on the type of market you're addressing. We could like uh, sort the startups in, in different categories. There would be like marketplaces driven uh, startups. Then there could be like enterprise B2B software and then more like technical uh, B2B software, so like uh, technical modules that are geared at being basically uh, uh, self-onboarded by developers being part of large enterprises. And the last category being more like what I will call vertical slash industry-driven software. For here, I'm going to focus more on the, the B2B software and on the B2D startups. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the B2D. It's business no. to developer. I think one of the first success stories in that space has been Twilio, selling basically, uh, uh, Twilio is really a technical enabler. And there are more and more companies out there uh, coming up as technical enablers, providing other technical players kind of a, a toolkit that will uh, simplify a very technical module. And basically, their, their go-to-market strategy is essentially... Uh, the viral uh, go-to-market with self-onboarding uh, spanning through the, the developer community. Are you saying that depending on what you do in terms of whether you're B2C, B2D, I'm going to use my new word, this is going to be my new word of the day. Yes. Are you B2C, B2D? Does it sort of changes your approach in terms of how you raise capital? Yes, quite, quite a bit, quite a bit. Because out there, first, there, I, think, I think there are different types of VCs. You know, you've got what I will call generalist VCs, that essentially will provide you with cash and potentially some like strategic advices, but they will not be uh, specialized in anything. Then you will have specialized VC, and essentially those VCs, when they specialize, they usually specialize either in marketplaces or very like tech-driven companies, so like data-driven, B2D types of companies. And then the last type of VCs, are VCs that will, will have the capability of giving you access to the U.S. market. And some VCs do combine that very data-driven, deep tech capabilities with giving you access to the U.S. market. You know, depending on the type of companies you are, you know, if you were a marketplace, you could pretty much work with like, if you're in a marketplace that are not, with that, that is fairly generic, I mean, you could work with, with any type of local VC that knows about the marketplace uh, business model and know about the numbers because the numbers of, you know, the, the way marketplaces look at the numbers is very specific. Whereby if you were like an enterprise software slash a B2B a deep tech company, you should definitely look for VC 
that are capable of like leveraging a community of fellow enterprise software entrepreneurs slash deep tech B2D type entrepreneurs, and that will help you uh, gaining access to the US market, which is the main market for those type of deep tech slash B2D applications. This is really interesting. So just talk to me through a scenario, Pascal. You kind of are, you know, you've got the great idea, you validated it, you kind of get your first customer, and then you get to a point where you need to raise capital. How do you do that research about, you know, finding that the right VC? I mean, nowadays, I just say that VCs come to you. <laughs> so so very quickly, what happens is that, once again, let's, let's focus on the enterprise software slash B2D deep tech. Because that's the one where we focus on as a, as a fund, uh, Serena, and, and that's the area I know the best. Uh, but if we were to f- first focus on the enterprise software and Salesforce, what happens is that the, the fellow community will help you uh, a lot, meaning that by talking to your counterparts at other startups, nowadays as well, your universities, uh, schools, and Salesforce, all of them, they have like a kind of an entrepreneur-driven program. And following those programs give you access to the uh, VC community. If you haven't followed those programs, it's very likely that through the different uh, types of forums slash discussion groups around the specific uh, technical uh, expertise you're covering, it's very likely that your fellows will be able to put you in touch with VCs. And anyway, it's very likely that as soon as uh, your product is out, MVP-wise, it's very likely that you will be on the radar screens on quite a few VCs that do specialize in deep tech and or like uh, enterprise software. Finding VC is not that difficult. Uh, not only that, but for example, as a fund, Serena, we do publish every year a landscape of European VC landscape. You're basically listing all the European VCs and, and the categories they play in. So quite a few entrepreneurs basically go through that interactive uh, list in order to, to spot the VCs they wanted to connect to. I should say it's not so much of a challenge. Switching gear a little bit, you have, obviously, um, you're the, the helm of uh, quite a few sort of software business. You wear multiple hats, you work for a VC, you're also the CEO of Think and another company. Tell me about your experience of sort of doing business, you know, with different companies that have different operating models and different markets. What would you say are the similarity and the differences when you sort of approach, you know, sort of growing this company and leading this company? I think similarity, both on the company side and also on the, on the VC side, is that the most important point is people and whether people are aligned in terms of visions for their personal life and their professional life. Because it's very difficult when starting a company or even like investing in a company to plan for what the company would be like five years from now. We all have intuitions, we all have business plans, we all have strategies, but we all also know that the market conditions can can change very fast, as we all uh, are witnessing uh, nowadays. And what will make the company successful on top of being positioned on, on the right technology, the right app, the right market, whatever, is the team. And how strong the team is to basically help the company making a pivot, if needs be, or basically going through uh, the good and the bad times. So basically, the core people, uh, the core team making the company is the most important value to the company. And if the team, is the core team is strong, Usually, uh, whatever happens, the company can, can reinvent itself. 
And then obviously, you know, because we're a, a deep tech and like, you know, enterprise software more like type of fund, we're, we're very focused and very interested in coming across teams that have a clear vision on the market that are very ambitious in terms of like wanting, wanting to disrupt the market and have a very strong uh, technical expertise to basically build what is required to disrupt that market. So Pascal, you, you wear multiple hats today and you have different software companies and they're kind of quite different from each other and they have different target market. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about them and some of the specificity you think that may be useful to some of our entrepreneurs out there. Once again, I'm wearing a VC hat and I'm also wearing a you know, CEO slash I'm helping companies out on the software side. And I'm working with two different types of software companies that are quite different. One type, which is really like, as I mentioned earlier, B2D, uh, deep tech driven. And another type that is more like vertical slash industry focus. And those two companies uh, work with Salesforce on a very different way. Your first type of company is the one that is like deep tech driven. And that company has decided to go ISV. And basically, when we look at the ISV market, and that's something that Salesforce, Apex Change Partner, may underestimate, is that Salesforce basically carries a, a gigantic potential, but it is also a, a big company. And working for, with Salesforce should be considered with the same type of focus as opening up a new country. So what I mean is that the way the company is now structured, we've got a, a marketing, a sales teams, tech for sales team looking after the US and another one looking after Salesforce. The reason being that uh, the Salesforce potential is really, really great. Consider Salesforce as a new country and put the same amount of planning, effort, energy, developing that relationship as you would have put uh, opening up a new country. So that's for the ISV side. On the OEM side, it's very, very different because uh, being a Salesforce OEM partner, is an amazing way to basically bring extremely fast, on a very agile way, a new product to the market. Working as an OEM partner to Salesforce is amazing because basically Salesforce will hide away from you all the complexity of building an enterprise-grade, secured, easy-to-deploy software. So basically without any type of technical investment from you as a company, you can bring to your customer base an extremely agile and rock-solid enterprise-grade software to your customer from day one. And that's an amazing competitive edge when you're known uh, for your expertise in a specific industry, when you've got uh, enterprise customers that uh, are ready to trust you, and that, that enterprise customers need to be reassured in your capabilities of delivering enterprise-grade software to them. So once again, ISV, OEM, two totally different approaches. Uh, both are really good and Salesforce is an amazing platform for both cases. Well, I love the passion uh, you have for Salesforce. It's, it's really, really cool. Uh, and I'm just trying to, you know, you're going to take my job, uh, sort of Pascal. So, but I no, guess, no, but <laughs> I guess the key I'm I've, trying I've to... I've been working with you guys since 2002. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you definitely... If are... I were not in love with Salesforce, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, I, and I really appreciate that. You know, very grateful for the support. Just thinking back a little bit more about your sort of your VC experience. So you're sitting at Serena and you get some couple of, you know, you've spotted a... In, you said in that cohort earlier of super 
successful future startups, you've sort of one or two catch your eye. How do you decide which one you're going to want to invest in and what are you looking for when you're evaluating a business? And first, first, you know, we're, we're getting back to the, uh, the most important point, which is the team. So obviously, the stronger the team is, the better, both in terms of like personality, skills, whether they've done it before, whether we believe that they can do it, and how far we believe that they can take the company. So we really focus on the team. That's one. Then we do focus, obviously, on, on the market and technical expertise and the technology. So that's why, as, as a fund, we do specialize. Uh, in fact, we've got a few different funds within the fund, but we've got a set of funds that do specialize in marketplaces, which is not my area of focus, and then another set of funds that do specialize in deep tech. Uh, so we have, uh, for a few, we, have, we have invested in a few uh, unicorns. You know, for example, uh, one of my partners is the, um, the ex-founder of a company called Talent, which is now uh, on the NASDAQ. In the fund, where we're quite different from others, and I think we're the only European fund structured that way, we've got a, a lot of expertise, both in terms of like bringing and building companies up to IPO, and also in terms of technical expertise within the partners of the fund. Quite a few of us are not coming from, from a pure finance background. Because of that, we can take on board teams that are still fairly young, but that do have that strong, you know, soft skills based and do have that technical expertise, we believe that will make a big difference on the market. So what I mean is that we do invest quite often at seed level into companies that only have an MVP and that might not even have a, a, a first customer. So how do you spot them? You know, I guess just think, think me back through the process that you have. You, you know, you've got a company, they have a, a good MVP, you just look at them and you said, you know, they've got good, strong skills. Talk to me through your process of selection in your head to say, I like this soft skill because of this, or this sounds like a great idea because of this. How do you bottle that thinking? Oh, uh, it goes it goes through through uh, you know spending a lot of time talking to people, so talking to uh, who their competitors could be, talking to who their early adopters could be, talking to uh, counterparts. We usually lead investors on our investments, but we all we have co-investors, so we we share a lot of things uh, with those co-investors. And basically, as a company, we, we spend a lot of time spotting new trends, uh, writing about those trends. Basically, there are only a few, fund, a few funds like that around. Yeah, there is ourselves, there is uh, Hudson Oilers in the US, you've got companies like Point9 as well. But there is hardly that many VCs out there that have the capabilities of documenting and structuring trends. So, so it, it may sound a bit awkward, but, but we do spend a lot of time you know, reading, meeting with people, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to CTOs of grown-up tech companies. We've got a lot of, like, advisors uh, working with us on, on very, very specific matters. It's, it's hard to describe because it's really like kind of an, an, an ecosystem. And where we really differentiate ourselves is, like, once we've, we've spotted such a company, once we believe that they have, have the right soft and hard skills basically disrupt the market, then we have the capabilities to really help them accelerate by helping them recruiting the right people, by helping them 
not falling in the pitfalls that pretty much everyone uh, falls in and so on so forth. Then we offer a lot more than just cash if the company is willing to leverage it because bottom line, it's still, uh, you know, the, what's really important is that any companies we invest in is the company that is basically driven by a, a team of funders and our, our job is only to empower them if they want to. We're not the one running the company on their behalf. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's interesting sort of piece. But okay, so I'm just trying to put myself in, uh, in the shoes of these entrepreneurs that you spotted. How do I prepare myself for that first meeting with you? Imagine you and I were meeting up and I was pitching to you, uh, Pascal. What, what would sort of uh, impress you, what you would be looking for? I mean, it's really, I mean, it's, it's really hard to describe because there, there are so many parameters. So it's a combination of like people, market, technology, ambition, vision. And basically that comes from the pitch you're going you're gonna to deliver, from how you're going to react to questions we may ask. In fact, it's a bit like a sales process, you know. Uh, one may say that once your customer, you in a sales process, if you go to the whiteboard to draw something for your customer, as soon as the customer stands up and starts drawing with you on the whiteboard and you start working on the project with the customer, it's almost like uh, you won the deal. So here it's about... It's like magic. Yeah, it's like magic. You know, it's like, it's like magic because you see it happening and the customer sees that trust relationship being built by, by basically sharing that, that very special building a moment with you by drawing things on the whiteboard next to you. Once you've gone through the, uh, the, the people, the, uh, the market, the technology, the vision, the whatever checks, bottom line, it's about whether together, the company and, and you as a VC, uh, you believe you can achieve great things or not. It's a long time since I watched uh, French television because whenever I go to my mom's, uh, I don't think she watched this kind of programs, but uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, so in the UK, we have like the Dragon's Den in the US, it's the Shark Tank. I have no idea what they might be in France, but I'm a big fan of this program. And sometimes you have this cringe moment when you see someone like, you know, pitching and it goes like so badly. So can you recall like a really good pitch that someone did to you? You know, did they have props? Did they do the whiteboard? You know, do you have any kind of ideas of what really one good one, a good story that may be? Um... I, mean, I have a few in mind. Uh, and the thing is, it's, it's the one that are, that are not the classic ones. So what I mean is that it's the ones where you only have like a few slides presented on a totally awkward way. Those slides and, and the pitch that goes with it uh, strikes you as being different. And it's almost like those guys, they come across with a, a clear vision on where things go and they don't, they don't need uh, hundreds of slides to express it. Yeah, lessons more. I think uh, you sound like my boss. You know, every time I speak, <laughs> so, it's like Sandra. Sandra, this is good. <laughs> it's, it's hard to describe because basically it's something that cannot be described. Basically, absolutely, it's really hard for me as French person. I always have the sort of the tendency to go on and on and on. So I guess that that's, that's always a good lesson. Less is more. But uh, and I guess in final thoughts, if you sort of uh, were to give tips to people out there wanted to have a go at being an entrepreneur, what would that be? The first tip would be don't so much worry about. The, the cash, uh, but you should worry about what you would expect from a VC on top of the cash. Can you make sure that the VC understands what you want to achieve and can, can really, really helping you achieving it? Something I was not really aware of before, like working uh, for the VC world, is that something that is very important to the VCs, what's called the equity story. So basically, 
once you start being financed, it's very likely that you will go, you need to go through more than one round of financing. And it's very important that you have a clear understanding for what VC would expect from you, milestone-wise, in order to go to the next round and the following one. Because that sequence of milestones and the timing of that sequence of milestones will really drive whether you will be able to raise capital easily or not. And it's, it's something that is awkward for an entrepreneur because it's something we're not used to, uh, which is understanding that timeline, which is really VC-driven and which really will uh, facilitate the round of financing. Listen, Pascal, thank you so, so much for spending the time with us today. And thank you for joining us for episode four of season two. If you have any questions or topic you want to hear more about, tweet us at AppExchange. I'll be back soon with some more insight from founders. So make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app to be the first one to know about it. Until then, goodbye.